This morning is the penultimate in our series called Living Well, studies from the book of Proverbs. And uh, uh, John next week will be finishing the series off. And in a few moments, uh, Marion uh, is going to be sharing, but I wanted to make a couple of comments at the beginning. Marion's going to be doing the bulk of the speaking this morning. Uh, and I want to say a couple of things. First of all, this passage is clearly about what makes a godly woman. And as John and I talked about how we should uh, handle uh, this passage, and as we talked about it uh, before God, um, we felt it was uh, inappropriate for us to do it, but would be really appropriate for Marion to draw our encouragement for all ladies here this morning, whether you're married, single, young or old. However, this passage is a part of a book which was written by a father to a son, an old man to a younger man. Uh, often you find in the book uh, written the words, my son, listen to what I have to say. It's written many times. And so all of us this morning, guys, young and old, we need to not switch off, but we need to hear clearly what God is saying in this passage. It would be easy to say this passage has nothing to say to me, when in fact it has a lot to say to each one of us. We need to pay careful attention. You see, the world around us constantly is telling us what an ideal woman looks like. The media bombards us with images of airbrushed women, perfect hair, svelte shapes, fashionably dressed, and as men we are hoodwinked into believing is that we should, this is what we should look for, this is what we should appreciate, and this is what we should value. Proverbs 31 demolishes, smashes that lie. Guys, if we don't hear the truth of what real beauty before God looks like, we will simply perpetuate the damage that's been done in the world. Why? Well, every woman, young, old, married or single, needs to hear what Marion has to say. They need to be driven by what God says and not the world around them. But if we as guys, if we as guys, whether that be with uh, uh, the ladies around us who are friends, whether they're those who are part of our family, if we don't value what God values, we will undermine the work of God in their hearts. I've come across over the years, and I can think of people in other churches, ladies who get these truths from the Word of God, and yet at home their husband is telling them that they don't look beautiful or they don't meet up with images that these guys have in their heads, and so they are broken by it. And so, guys, we need to hear what Marion has to say this morning. Yesterday, I was just reading, in Jewish culture, apparently it is the men who memorize Proverbs 31, and they sing it over their wives, over their sisters, over their mothers, over their daughters over their friends, 
as a celebration of what they see in them. Guys, you need to listen this morning. All right, good morning. <laughs> it's a great honour to be up here. Um, it's a bit scary, I must admit, but it is still a great honour. Before we actually get going on the Proverbs 31 passage this morning, I want to let you into a very well-kept secret. I think it's one of the Bible's best-kept secrets. I think we're probably all familiar that God is often called our helper in the Bible. There's probably verses that spring to mind for you. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Well, this well-kept secret, there are many different Hebrew words for the word help, but there is one particular word, which is ezer, and this word is only used about 20 times in the Old Testament. It's used for God, and it has military overtones. I don't think we've got any PowerPoint going on. Yes, we have. It's up there, but not down here. Okay, that's great. Well, it's used for God, and it has military overtones. And I'm just going to show you one verse. This is Deuteronomy 33, verses 26 and 27. No, it's not. It's 26 and 29. Okay. There is no one like God who rides on the heavens to help you. There's that word. And on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Verse 29. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, and your glorious sword. So there you see that word helper, and it's mixed with phrases like shield and glorious sword. It's got a military sense to it. Now, the very interesting thing is that this word, Asa, is used for God. It's got a couple of very, very obscure references. And then, very surprisingly, I think, it is used only twice for somebody else. And you know who that is? That is Eve in the Garden of Eden. God says, I will make a helper suitable for Adam. Yeah, so it's a helper suitable. It's actually combined with another Hebrew word there, and it's this sense of suitable helper. But it is actually notoriously difficult to translate. But it has, again, the sense of military strength, sustainer beside him, lifesaver. So I think that is... I think that is absolutely incredible. I find that does something for me right in my gut, really. That is who we are, ladies. It is, I just find it liberating. Um, actually, it's very, I think it's very empowering. It tells us who we are in God. So as we come to Proverbs 31, I want you just to keep that in mind. We're going to see how this Proverbs lady displays all this military strength that she's got. Let's read it. Uh, No, actually, I won't read it for a minute. I just want to say, my prayer has been over these these last few weeks that I will do this passage justice and that I will serve you well in it. 
I'm only going to be able to pick out a few points. There is so much in here when you start looking at it. And I just want to share, really, some of the lessons that I've learned. The passage does speak about a wife, and as it happens, I'm married. In actual fact, I've been married more than two-thirds of my life now. I did a little sum. It's getting scary. And so what I've learned has been in that setting. But my appeal this morning is to all women, whether you're five, whether you're 95, whether you're married, single, young, old, this is about women. And I'm mostly going to home in on this lady's character. And character is applicable to every single one of us, men included, I might add. So this is an absolutely beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry, and I'm going to read it to you. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she's no fear for her household. All of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed with fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord... I didn't know I was going to get emotional. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. It's a magnificent passage. And at first glance, we are looking at a very capable lady. We're looking at a superwoman. We're looking at a multitasker. But come on, let's not be daunted by her, because I guess she didn't get there overnight. I think she's had to learn a thing or two. When we look at it more closely, though, there are two aspects that I feel are drawn out in these verses. Her character, besides her capabilities... And so there's something here for every single one of us in terms of character. 
We can't all attain all of these capabilities, but we can all work on our character. Because, you know, we've got right across this room, there are a host of different and varied capabilities and gifts. But do you know what? God has not equally distributed gifts or talents, skills or intelligence for that matter. He loves diversity and he's given each of us a measure of gift. But in contrast, he's given each of us, every single one of us, all of himself. He wants Christ the whole of Christ to be formed in each of us and he gives his Holy Spirit to us for that purpose without measure so we have all got all of that potential to have Christ formed in us so we've read that passage I'm now going to start digging in and um, pick out one or two things my first point would be she brings him good and not harm in verse 12 Now, I feel this is an area where our culture does not do at all well. Do you know, men are often viewed with contempt. They're ridiculed and belittled by the media. And unfortunately, our media tends to perpetuate the image of men being irresponsible and behaving badly. It doesn't do them any favours at all. Now, out of the feminist movement in the last century, there were lots and lots of benefits for women. I really do believe there were. But this is one of the downsides. I think men have been undermined. And you kind of get comments like, (laughs) from women, you know, oh, if we could, we'd do without them. That's not a good point of our culture at all. But, you know, there are actually many books on relationships, both secular relationships and both secular books and Christian books. And they would draw out, when they're talking about men and women's needs, they would draw out the point that a man's primary need is to be respected and to be considered competent. And I believe that as women here, um, largely Christian women, I believe this is an area where we can, we can show some of that military strength, actually. We can be, we can be quite counterculturally cultural in the way that we, we behave towards men. And perhaps it all comes down, in the end, to one thing, the way we speak. Actions, they say, speak louder than words, but actually what you speak is what is coming from inside you and so it's quite a scary thing that the tongue has the power of life and death and the way we speak about men and actually to them is a good indicator of whether we really respect and honour them and it's not always exactly what we say but the way that we say it now I think our Proverbs lady here she's learnt a thing or two She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, I have to admit before you, it's not really an admission, but I, like all of us, I'm a work in progress. And this is one of the areas that I've I've 
perhaps battled with over the years, and I still have to watch myself. I still find it a constant challenge because I tend to be quite straight in the way I talk. Um, I kind of like to say it as it is. You could call it honesty, but that's not, not always quite right, is it? I don't dress up things too well. And I know that I have to be careful, and it will particularly come out with those closest to me, those at home. So it's not just what we say, but actually when it is mixed, when it is mixed with some impatience, it's not a very good recipe, and it can lead to a few <laughs> heated disagreements. Um, there we are. But I am trying to learn. I really am. I'm still learning. I still slip up on that one. It doesn't mean that we're not honest. Um, honesty, it's good, it's good to be honest. It's good to have integrity and to be honest. But when we're speaking about somebody or even when we're speaking directly to them, there is a way to speak the truth in love. And I'm learning it. There is a way to honour a person and respect them, even when perhaps I personally feel they've made a mess of, mess of things and they haven't done things very well. Because Paul says, amazing verse really, let your speech always, always, always be full of grace. So our aim should be to build others up and not to tear them down in the way we speak. And actually, this can reflect something of, of God's, God's culture. And I feel, you know, particularly in, in the church, you know, we can build a good, healthy culture. And I think, women, we, we've got quite a part to play in that. It can be in the church, it can be in employment, in, in our homes, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, we can be countercultural in that respect. Right, I want to I'd move on now. Um, Verse 25 says, Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come, or she laughs at the days to come. And you can kind of ask yourselves with the, all the Greek debt crisis and whatever, what are all the repercussions going to be? You can look at all this um, <clears throat> ISIS stuff and you can think, life is scary. Life is scary. How can we laugh at that? Well, I, just as a, as a, a picture, I, I just have here really, I love the Spinnaker Tower. I don't know what it is about that, but I, I just absolutely love it. I feel it's a stunning piece of architecture. It, it stands strong. It stands out. Um, it's spectacular. It's eye-catching. I find it elegant. To me, it's a picture of strength and, strength and dignity. <coughs> And in contrast to that, um, I mean, it's gone off our television screens now, but the Nepal earthquake, what is that, a couple of months ago, we saw just little shacks, small buildings, just absolutely crumbled and people's lives devastated. So we've got two contrasts. We've got a modern structure, and like a skyscraper, skyscrapers have got deep, deep, eternal foundations, and they've got an inner core to, to account for the wind and, and, and the storms in life. And in contrast, we saw those, um, 
Nepal earthquake victims and their houses and their lives in ruins. So how we build our lives is going to affect, more than anything, I think, how we, how we manage to stand in, in the storms. But even if we've got the very best foundations, I, you know, we will still sway in the wind. It doesn't mean we're not going to get anxious, we're not going to get disappointed, we're not going to get upset, we're not going to be confused and perplexed about things. It doesn't mean we're not going to have why questions. But we will sway in the wind. And do you know, I look, I look this up, the Spinnaker Tower has a sway, I don't know if it's each way or what, it has a sway of 15 centimetres. I thought it might be more, I thought it'd be more exciting if it was more like a foot each way. You know, but, but no, it's 15 centimetres. But we do, but we do sway. And of course, there's the parable in the Bible that, I, that you will be thinking of, the wise man and the foolish man that, that, that built their houses. But the fact is, if we build our lives on anything other than Jesus, if we, if we build it on possessions or achievements, on relationships, on friendships, on our status and positions, you can build your life on a position you hold in church. Any of those things can be snatched away and pulled down in a moment. And, and you know, even a spouse, ladies, even a husband, is not the answer to the deep needs of our heart. Um, I can look back, I think, during my, during my 20s, I had lots of outbursts of anger. And I couldn't work out why it was. You know, I was asking God, what is this all about? I really don't like this. I really want to change. And, I, and I, it, you know, I, I didn't find the answer very quickly. But then, for some reason, I was listening to a series of tapes, tapes by a, an American, C.J. Mahaney. You may have heard him. And it was a series of tapes for singles. Now, quite why I was listening to that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. But the one thing I remember from, I think it was about five or six tapes, a whole series he did, the one thing I remember is he, he said that a spouse cannot meet the deep needs that only Jesus can meet. Ah, I got a clue. And you know what? Looking, looking at it, I think I was looking to John to meet some of the deep needs in my heart which actually, he can't. It's, oh, we've got a God, a God bit, haven't we? So that only God can meet those needs in us. And I needed to transfer that expectation from John. I needed to transfer it to Jesus. And I'm not saying the anger went overnight, but it did improve a great deal. There's a lovely psalm which I've often turned to in sort of life earthquake situations, Psalm 62. It says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. So I suppose we have to think about how do we get those foundations that are going to go really, really deep. <coughs> and there's really one simple answer, and it is developing a relationship with Jesus, getting to know God, getting to just find out any ways you can, just how do I deepen my understanding of who God is 
so that from the bottom of your heart, actually, you can say in some of these situations, I know that he loves me. He loves me dearly, and he always will. He's always with me, come what may. He won't walk out on me. And he's far greater than anything I can grasp. His ways are higher than my ways. He's in control of absolutely everything, and he works things out for my good. I've just uh, put Romans, that famous verse, Romans 8, 28 and 29, up on the screen. Yes, it's there. Actually, you know, I feel that this is, is misquoted, or we don't read the whole verse, because it's not about, we think all things work together for good. It has a, it's not our personal feel-good factor that we're talking about here. When we read the verse, we say, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the greater good that God has for each one of us. And we can't leave this little section without just talking about eternity. If we know Jesus, he's put an eternal destiny in our hearts. We're on, this world's not our home. We're on our way to a much, much better place. We're on our way to a glorious future. And if you can keep an eye on eternity and an eye on the temperiness of what life is, it really does help you, I think, get things in proper perspective. And it's, it's like God allows the storms, I think, sometimes, because he wants, he's saying, let's dig a bit deeper. Let's get that internal core a bit stronger. And in that way, we can, we can have strength and dignity, and we can, we can laugh at the days to come. The future's bright, the future's, the future's good, the eternal future. Okay, I just want to cut now. I'm going to have a quick drink. Okay, my third point may sound a little complicated is mutual interdependence and appreciation of each other. I'm drawing just from some of the verses here just to get a sense of what's going on. So we have our lady. She is of noble character, and she fears the Lord. And so her husband trusts in her. He's got full confidence in her. On the back of that, she brings him good. She serves him and helps him and brings him good. And... The whole passage really infers that because of that, he sits in the city gate. He's a man of some standing. Behind every good man, there's a good wife. Heard that one? But her husband, the husband, he praises her. He honors her. He says she's done things well. So there's this Which is it? It's sort of chicken and egg, really. Which comes first? They bounce off each other, and they build each other up. Actually, they trust trust each other. There's a relationship of trust here. And when we 
Well, if we were just to cast our minds back to Adam and Eve in the garden, their situation is a far cry from this. When Satan caused them to sin, suspicion and blame set in. They were suspicious of God. They were suspicious of each other. They started blaming each other, and trust was gone. And ever since then, there's been a conflict between the sexes. I think you can see it in every, every culture, every generation, there's this friction all through history. In many cultures, men are still very dominant, and the woman, women are like servants. But it's also possible to find some quite matriarchal situations where the women are very much in control and, 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 and set the tone of everything. And in our own culture, we've had a really, really mixed history, really. But as I mentioned earlier, we had the whole feminist movement. And we have gained, as women, we have gained lots and lots of rights and privileges, which can only be a good thing. But there's still an undercurrent, I think, of, of friction, of striving and competing with, with our male counterparts. Just interestingly enough, there was, a, there was an article in the, in the paper yesterday about women suffering from psychosomatic illnesses. And it, it really gave... Some of the explanation was that they're not expressing their emotions properly. They're trying to be like men. And so not expressing them properly, you know, even in the workplace and that kind of thing. So... The Dear Women's Lib movement, it falls far short of God's perfect design for us. But it's where, it's where Satan would love to keep us. He'd love to keep us in confusion. But, you know, through all that Jesus has done, through the cross, and the fact that we've been redeemed, all that Adam and Eve lost can be totally restored to us and more. We can come into a whole new understanding in Christ of who we are as men, men and women. And this leads me to touch on what is known doctrinally as a phrase, equality and complementarity. It's spelt with an E, not an I. It's not a compliment. Um, A compliment is is to pay an expression of recognition, to pay an expression of of respect, and implies praise. But complementary means... Combining in such a way as to enhance or emphasize the qualities of each other or forming a balanced whole. That is something, that's a good, good, I like it. It's a very, very big subject and we, we're not going far with it this morning. But if you've been on the um, a recent Foundations Day, Steve will have um, touched it there. And if you, if you do want a much more bigger, in-depth look at it. I'll just uh, do a plug for the Word Plus course because on there they do a, there's a whole section on the doctrine of man and women and, and, they, and you will look at it much more closely there. But enough to say for now that equality and complementarity is rooted right in the heart of the Trinity. There's perfect love and perfect harmony in the Trinity Each member of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have equal value, worth, and importance. And each is 
respected and honored by the others, and yet they have very different roles. And you can see this worked out in in the plan for salvation. The father initiates things. He sent the son. Jesus the son came in human form. He came as a man, and he, he lived among us. And he worked through the plan of salvation as a man. But then the Holy Spirit makes all of that real in our lives. He, he applies it all to our life and he dwells within us. So you can see that each is very different and yet they are all very important. And the mind-blowing thing is that God has created man and woman in his image to, de- to display something of that equality and complementarity. When women, men and women work in harmony together, when women are free to be women and men are free to be men, they display something very precious about God's character. So here in Proverbs, we, we're seeing a fine example of, of that. But it is, is much, much bigger than marriage. It's men and women together, together we make a balanced whole. And the equality and complementarity of men and women together is, a, is actually a wonderful, liberating element of, of our faith, of the Christian faith. As we learn to honour each other and trust each other, appreciate each other, promote each other, as we dovetail our strengths and weaknesses together, we're going to show the world something very, very special. And actually, it sets Christianity apart from almost all other religions in the world, which is a big factor. Okay, I'm just moving on to um, my last point, which is about celebrating our gifts and abilities. And we just go back and and look at this lady again. In verses 13 uh, to 22-ish, it tells us that that this lady has got all kinds of abilities. Actually, I find her very annoying, really, rather annoying. She can do absolutely everything. Everything she puts her hands to, she seems to excel at. Anyway, I think she's practical. She's very practical, isn't she? She's got an aptitude for business and management. She's well organized. She seems to be very well organized to me. She's artistic and creative. She's got superb people skills when you look at it. She's got gifts of of mercy and care for the poor. In actual fact, she's a very effective leader, I think. She's not going to do all of this without some teams under her. She's a very effective leader. And people, people just seem to love being around her, her own family, her maidens, everything. And she even seems to delight in getting up early. <laughs> it's not me, I'm afraid. Anyway, I hope you can see yourself somewhere. You... If you, as you read that through carefully or in, the, in the, that sort of summary, I'm sure we, we each, ladies, have got a little place in there somewhere. But 
You know, it seems to me too that God gives women very unique and special strengths. He gives us special emotions and insights. And all of what we are can help create a good atmosphere in a church. You know, it's great to have a safe place. And the church really is where we can, where we can express ourselves properly, where, where we can add something to that atmosphere. I think women have often got a much greater ability to, to draw alongside those that are in need, draw alongside them and, and draw them out and help them. And we actually, because we've got the emotional, a different kind of emotional makeup, we can have a very uh, intuitive, we can add a dynamic to worship a certain dynamic because we've got kind of a, re- a responsive touch we, we can bring in worship and we have got something very special to offer to church life but even in the workplace too I would suggest that where a woman is, is content in who she is where she's secure in Christ where she's free from, from striving where she's not always pushing and trying to, to get something out of it Whoever she is, whatever she does, whether she can be, she can make the, you can, a woman can make the best headmistress, she can make a brilliant hairdresser, she can make a great cleaner, she can be a banker, she can be a, a, a nurse, a shop manager. Where she gets herself secure in Christ, she's going to excel at all, the, all those things. And it also, I think, draws out that whole element of, of kind of military strength and support and sustainer and lifesaver. If she learns who she is, she can express herself freely and be all of those things. So there's a huge resource among, among women. And, you know, we've got to try and just work out how we, how we work that out in the whole context of equality and complementarity, so that together we do make a balanced whole. And do you know what? We, we just have to return to, to Jesus here. He's going to be our best example. Philippians, Philippians 2 says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. And a a Peter verse, each one of us should use whatever gifts he's received to serve others. So I think the simple answer is to focus on other people. Seek to serve them and seek to build them up. And in that way, we're going to have occasions to celebrate all that we are, all our unique strengths and weaknesses so I think my main, my main challenge, as I just draw to a close, I think my main challenge to every woman in the, in the room is that we can all grow in character. Let's get to grips with who we are in Christ. Let's get to grips with who we are as women. Do you know, God is far more interested in who we are, though, than what we do. If, if you are who you are, it really doesn't matter what you do. You're, you're going to be 
you're going to be good at it, and it's going to fit, and you're going to feel comfortable in it. But let's live for God's glory. Let's be who we are and live for God's glory. When we're looking at this passage, it's about a man and a woman, but you know there's one very special man for every single one of us, and that's Jesus. He's the greatest bridegroom of all. So I would just say, let's devote ourselves to following him, serving him, our Lord Jesus.